Uh, dear Father, we just pray that uh, this afternoon you really uh, help us to really appreciate today's passage and get to the heart of it because it really speaks of eternal life and things which have so much uh, significance and importance to us. We pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, I have a friend of mine, and uh, if you see him, he's a, he's a really personal guy. He's a big, hunky, big guy. And uh, he's articulate, charismatic, very capable, very charming person. Unfortunately, this friend of mine has a problem. And his problem is, uh, is drug addiction. So he's been taking drugs for many, many years. He's been in and out of prison, in and out of rehab. And if you meet him while he's not taking drugs, he seems like a really, really nice person. But when you see him after he's taken drugs, he's just a total mess. He's probably spent more than half his life in prison, right? Uh, and uh, over the years, uh, he's seen many of his own friends die of drug overdose. Some have taken their life by committing suicide. Some of them are in prison. But today, my friend is drug-free. He's happily married. Mm, he's working. And he's totally fine. Right? So what's the secret? You know, How did he manage when so many of his friends uh, fail? Either uh, going back to drugs, committing suicide, or in prison. I think today's passage gives us an idea of what my friend did and how he got through it. And it begins in verse 1 of chapter 8, right? Because it says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. Okay, now there's a therefore there, and that therefore is really important because it links us back to what we learned last week. And what we learned last week in verse 24 to 25 was where Paul despaired of what a wretched man he was, right, in verse 24. So who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? And he says, thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. Right. So he gives thanks to God for Jesus, and therefore, because of Jesus, he says there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life has set me free from the law of sin and death. Now, the first thing that we really need to see here is that he gives thanks to God for Jesus, because in Jesus we have been set free from the power of sin and death. And here, it is freedom which comes from forgiveness. Freedom which gives us freedom from the penalty of sin, which is death. Now, what happens here is, uh, it looks in a very uh, a technical word, which is like in a forensic way. Also, you know, when you watch criminal movies or criminal shows, I always like there's always the forensic scene, right, where there's like the guy or the girl lying there and they're dead, and then the person will come and check up on them, and they'll try to figure out exactly what happened to them when they died, right? So forensic is actually the term of what happens at that particular state. It's a word which is like a snapshot. What happens to you at that point in time? And here is looking at the forensic state of what Jesus did for us, which is to take away condemnation and set us free from the law of sin and death. Okay, so visually, as we've been looking uh, every week, right, we see that everybody is under judgment, right? 
Okay, everybody's under judgment because of sin. But Jesus, in a forensic way, in a penalty way, takes the penalty upon us. And therefore, that's why it says that we are under no more condemnation. You're not condemned anymore by God because Jesus has once and for all, in a forensic way, taken away all your sins once and for all. <clears throat> and that's why it says there, For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. Now, just as, uh, you know when you get a parking ticket, right? I, I mean, I, I don't know whether any of you got a parking ticket, but it's one of the worst feelings in the world, right? You go back to your car and there's a silly white thing on your your wiper, you know, you've got so much trouble and then you're like, you know, you should have paid 50 cents and now you've got to pay $100 or something, right? But once you pay it, you never have to pay it again, right? So what it's saying actually, Jesus pays for sin once and for all as a sin offering, now, what does it mean here that it's a sin offering? Well, a sin offering is where he takes on himself what our punishment should be. Right Now, it says that very clearly uh, in verse 3, right? Because we were weakened in our flesh, we could not fulfill the law. We were powerless to fulfill the law. Okay, so imagine I said to you, I want you to jump over the BTPC building. I don't care how much running start you have, whatever, take a trampoline. Do you think you're able to jump over the BTPC building? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Or I say to you, right, I want you to run from here to next in like one second. Physically impossible, right? But that's exactly what the Bible is saying that in our flesh, because we were weakened, we were unable to fulfill the law. And therefore, we were destined to judgment. And God sent Jesus in the likeness of sinful flesh. Now, what a weird way of saying that. What do you mean that Jesus is like sinful flesh? What does it mean, the likeness of sinful flesh? I don't know why I put it up there. Okay. Now, in, in a sense, Jesus, when he became human, was exactly human in every way like us. You know, he went to the toilet. No, like we we don't we can't imagine that Jesus is like this. You know, he doesn't have body odor, or you know, he doesn't have bad breath, or you know, he he never wakes up and has to shave or something, right? It's not as if Jesus is like this genetically altered human being <clears throat> who's perfect, right? But Jesus was like us in every way, but he wasn't like us because he didn't sin. That's why it says he came in the likeness of sinful man but yet he wasn't exactly like us and therefore he could be a sin offering. Because if you look at the, the Old Testament, the sin offering was always given when, when the Israelites sinned. But if you notice something interesting, uh, the sin offering always was like an animal, but the animal was always without defect. Right? So, uh, it's when the Israelite community sins, the priest sins, whenever somebody sins, there was to be a sin offering, but the sin offering always had to be a young animal without defect. Here again, uh, when the, when a member of the community sins, it's a female goat without defect. If the leader sins, it's a male goat without defect. So Jesus is 
like us in every way, except He is perfect. He is without defect. He is sinless. And that's why Jesus could be a sin offering for us. But the good news is that the work of Jesus and what God did for us is not just taking the penalty for us. Okay, so you think about it again. If you look at this slide, right? Um, okay, don't worry about it. If you look at this slide, it's not that God just sent Jesus to take away the power, the penalty of sin. But what actually it says here in chapter 8 is that God did two things. He took away the penalty of sin, but God also sent the Holy Spirit to take away the power of sin. So God sent a transformation in us. And that's why when you read on in verse 4, he said that in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So Jesus, in a forensic way, in a, in a once and for all way, dealt with the penalty of sin. But God sent us the Holy Spirit to give us a transforming power so that in the rest of our lives we would live without sin. Now this is very important because remember back again, if you look in chapter 7, verse 25, remember it ends by saying, So then I myself in my mind am a slave, to God's law, but in my sinful nature, I'm a slave to the law of sin. So remember, we were reading about Paul last week, and he was like very confused, like, you know what I want to do, I cannot do, what I hate to do, I do, and what I want to do, and all that stuff, right? But then actually here, Paul goes on to tell us that God has has given us something, a power, the Holy Spirit, which helps us to overcome the sinfulness which is inherent in our sinful nature. So, what is the promise of the Holy Spirit? So, if you look here, in Ezekiel chapter 36, God promised that I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I'll put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. You see, God didn't just bring forgiveness for us, but He gave us His Holy Spirit so that through the Holy Spirit we will be able to fulfill the righteous requirements of the law. So again, it links back to chapter 7, right? Because chapter 7, verse 6, if you remember, go back to chapter 7, verse 6, right? It says, But now by dying to what was once bound to us, we've been released from the law so that we can serve in the new way of the Spirit, and not in the old way of the written code. You see, so remember I asked you this question before. I said, what are the different sorts of people in this world? Right? What are the different types of people? So what are some of the types of people that you came up with? So, you know, I remember in Huili's group, she said there are short people and there are tall people, right? Okay. Or someone said that. Like, I don't know who said that. Okay. Okay. Uh, but then, actually, in God's eyes, it doesn't, there are only two types of people which really matter. Those who are still in the old way of living, which is in the flesh and subject to sin, and those who are in the Holy Spirit, who are being led by the Spirit. Okay, and, and this is fundamental. If you can understand this, you understand this whole passage, okay? Because now he's saying that there are two types of people. One, peop- one sort of people who were the, in the old sense, always remained under the power of sin, 
But now there are, there are a new group of people who are in Christ, but also in the Holy Spirit, and have freedom from the penalty of sin, and also freedom from the power of sin. Now this is very, very important, right? Because it says in chapter 8, that those who live in, accord- in accordance to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of flesh cannot please God. Now what it's saying here is very, very clear. If you still remain in the flesh, or in sin, which is the old way of living, then what happens? Well, the Bible says very clearly, right, that you are under the power of sin. You cannot please God, you cannot submit to God, in fact, you are hostile to God. In fact, what it's saying here is that the sinful person, right, is actually under the power of sin itself. You can't break free of it. It's like you're trying and trying, but you can't do what you want to do. Instead, you do what you hate to do. Right? And in fact, uh, like we, these are pictures that we had last week. right? You're sort of like dragged along by sin. So the outcome is very clear that the person who lives in sin, the outcome is death. There's just no way around it because... Your sinful nature is always prompting you, leading you, pushing you, pulling you towards doing things which God hates. And therefore you will die because of it. But the, the new person, through the union with Jesus Christ, it says there, very clearly in chapter 8 verse, um, uh, where is it? What, um, verse 6, But the mind that is governed by the Spirit is life. And peace. Okay, so on one hand, you get, you get death by following sin. On the other hand, if you follow the Spirit, you get life, eternal life, right? Real life. And you get peace with God, true peace of God. Now therefore, given these two choices, which choice makes more sense to you? Which choice would you follow? It's really silly, right, to follow sin and to live under the power of sin because it just leads to death. But if you are led by the Spirit and you get life and peace, well, that's the choice you should make. And that's why it says there in um, verse 9, right? It says, You, speaking to the Christian now, You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if a Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit of life gives, sorry, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. Now, if you read very carefully, right, if you look at this uh, picture, it's basically saying if you choose to accept Jesus, if you choose to be united with Jesus, then automatically you have the Holy Spirit. You know, you, you can't say, I believe in Jesus and I accept Jesus and I'm united with Jesus but I don't have the Holy Spirit. See, you notice here, it says it is the the Spirit of Christ and the Spirit of God who raised Jesus, and yet it's the Holy Spirit. 
You see, it's like you, once you're united in Jesus Christ, you have the Spirit of God and Jesus Christ in you. It's like the Trinity now lives in you. Right? You are now part of the Trinity of God. You have the Holy Spirit. And because you have this uh, Holy Spirit, then it says that you actually have the life that comes from the power of God in you. I know this is a bit difficult and it takes a bit of thinking, but really it speaks of how once you have the, the, the Spirit of God in you, then the power of God which raised Jesus from the dead will raise you from the dead as well. Now, I like what the ESV says, right? So this is the ESV translation. It says, But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. Right? So you used to be dead because of sin, but the Spirit, the Holy Spirit in you is giving you life because of the righteousness you have now in Jesus. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit which dwells in you. Now, this is such a profound idea, isn't it? Because it is literally saying that God lives in you. Right? You are the temple of God. Right? You, you know, it's like God doesn't live in the building. God is in you through the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of Christ lives in you. The Spirit of God lives in you. And because God's Spirit lives in you, the power of God which raised Jesus from the dead is also going to raise you from the dead. Now, given all these things that have happened, the future of the eternal life, the power of the Holy Spirit in you, then it actually says that we have a choice, right, in verse 12. Who are you going to follow? Are you going to follow the Holy Spirit or are you going to follow the old way of sin in yourself? So in verse 12 it says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation. But it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you will put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Now, if, if you look up in this slide, right? It's like given the choice, he says, why would you want to live to die? Right? Okay, actually the, the language here is very poetic, right? If you look at verse 13, there's a lot of symmetry here, right? If you live according to Spirit, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the bodies, you will live. So the choice is, do you want to live in sin and die? Or do you want to put to death the sinful nature in your body and live forever? See, it's quite, quite an interesting paradox, right? Do you want to live in sin and die? Or do you choose to put to death the body of sin and live forever? See, I always remember this quote. Uh, by this very famous missionary, he gave up his life, and he he uh, this he went to uh, this tribe in in South America, and he like only survived like two weeks before they killed him. But before he went, he said, you know, "He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep in order to gain what he cannot lose." Right? So it's like 
it's exactly what he's saying here, isn't it? Why do you want to live in this body so that you will die? Why don't you instead give up the sinful nature so that you will live forever and ever? That's a challenge before us. And he says we have an obligation actually. We don't really have a choice because the Spirit now lives in us because we have chosen Jesus Christ to be our Lord and Savior. You know, I know that nowadays there's a, a, a lot of confusion about uh, you know the Holy Spirit. I remember I went to this Prosperity Gospel Church and I was visiting. They said, oh, you know, the Holy Spirit wants to lead you to get a new house or to lead you to get a new car. Right? But actually, biblically speaking, the role of the Holy Spirit is not to lead you to greater prosperity or health. The role of the Spirit, as we see here, is to actually lead you to follow God's righteousness, to follow God's law, to make you more like God, isn't it? The Holy Spirit in you makes you holy. That's why it's called holy. the Holy Spirit. It's making you more like the holiness of God. So if I follow the Holy Spirit, then I will say no to the things that God doesn't like. Things like gossip, things like anger, things like lust, and things like slander. In fact, if you look very closely here uh, to this passage, right? If you read in verse 13, which is what we're looking here, if you live according to the flesh, you will die, but if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Now what that means is, I like this picture, maybe I should keep referring to it, right? When, when you when you become a Christian and you have the Holy Spirit in you, you put to death the, the sinful nature in your body. Now, let's think about that for a moment. Why is it so strong, the language? To put to death something, if you look up the dictionary, right, is it means that you literally kill or, or make something stop living in you. See, I think the problem with many Christians is we, we, we follow the Holy Spirit, but we don't put to death the sinful nature. We allow the sinful nature to still bubble, you know, in the surface. It's sort of like waiting there to burst into life once in a while, right? We, we don't really put to death the sinful nature. But I think we fail to realize just how powerful the sinful nature is, right? So if you, if you go back again to the, all these pictures I have, right? You go back to the picture of sin and the power of sin over us, okay, that is like this big bully or something that follows you around. Uh, then it really makes sense that now that you have the Holy Spirit in you, you need to kill and put to death the sinful nature in yourself. You cannot have two natures existing in yourself, right? You know, like, so, uh, you know, I have the Holy Spirit and sort of living here. And at the same time, I, I, I'm, I'm very happy to accommodate the sinful nature on one side of my body, you know. So I, I, I like, I have this dual thing happening in me, right? I have the sinful nature, and I have the Holy Spirit coexisting. That's not what the Bible says, right? Verse 13 says you either choose to live in one and die, or you put to death the sinful nature, and you follow the Holy Spirit wholeheartedly, and you live. So I wonder for yourself, if you reflect, just for a moment, right? Are you putting to death your sinful nature? Are you making it, you know, really putting it to the sword, your sinful nature? Or do you still secretly cherish 
the sinful nature in your life. You know, you secretly fondle or flirt with sin and keep sin in some dark corner in your life. Because the Bible tells us that that's not possible as a Christian. Uh, You know, as a Christian, you allow the Holy Spirit the whole of your life and you put to death uh, the sinful nature. So I remember once um, uh, this mother was complaining about his the son, right, and saying how not the son lah, but the son, right, okay, and then and then the son because you know what what happened was I think uh, he was a Christian and then he was like, looking at uh, pornography on the internet, so the the mother you know cut it off and everything. Then one day she she found her son looking at all these av- bra advertisements in the newspaper. You know the newspaper has the bra advertisement, right? So I mean. That's not really putting to death the sinful nature, right? It's just the sinful nature is still there, but you're just eliminating the outlets for it. But you haven't really put it to death in, inside of you. And I think that's what this passage is really challenging us. If we are in Jesus, then the Holy Spirit is living in us, and we must do everything we can, every extreme measure possible to put to death the sinful deeds, the sinful nature, and to be led by the Spirit instead. And that's why it says there, in verse 13, right? Uh, 14 and 15. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. Again, there's a contrast here, right? Because you can either live in fear, right? If you, if you still live in the sinful Nature. What, 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 what happens? You live in fear because you know of judgment coming. But if you live in the Spirit, you live in sonship. You live as a child looking forward to actually being part of God's family. Right? So, if you look at this thing again, right? So, you can either choose to live in fear of judgment if you live in sin, or through the union of Jesus Christ, through living in the Holy Spirit, you can actually call out to God, Abba, Father. Now, I think this is something that we uh, take for granted. This closeness with God. See, Abba, Father, is, is, a, is actually a very, very familiar phrase, right? You know, like it's like Dad, or almost like Daddy, like that, right? The picture we get here is because of our unity with Jesus, because God's Holy Spirit is in us, we have this very close intimacy with God. We can actually call God Abba Father. You know, it's something which is a great, great privilege because of what Jesus has done and because of the Holy Spirit in us. But more than that, it's really amazing because the next passage actually says, in verse 17, now if we are children, we are heirs of God and we are co-heirs with Christ. Now, it doesn't, you know, it's like, what that really means is that we are going to share in the glory of God together with, with Jesus. It's not as if, you know, ah, uh, you know, when, uh, when Jesus comes, we just get these breadcrumbs, right? But it's almost as if we share together with Jesus all the blessings, everything that God the Father has. We are co-heirs of Jesus. You know, we are, we are like together with Jesus, inheriting everything 
God the Father has to give. But the last part shows us that it is not an easy path. Because the last part in verse 17 says, If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. Okay, in his glory. Now, if you, if you think about it, having the Holy Spirit doesn't mean that, you know, the Holy Spirit, Spirit sort of like possesses me, right? And I become like this robot. You know, I'm just, the, the Holy Spirit is just directing everything I'm doing, right? Because actually, if you look at this passage, if you look at verse 5, verse 9, and verse 14, it keeps using the idea of, you need to live, right? In verse 5, let me read verse 5 to you, right? It says, those who live according to the Spirit. In verse 9, those who are controlled by the Spirit. In verse 14, those who are led by the Spirit. So, God is not a God of coercion. Right? God, you know, I don't know why, nowadays, why every time I look at the cinema, there are always horror movies around, right? It's like, I don't know, people seem to have this fascination of horror movies. So, when you want to watch horror movies, the, the, the evil spirit always, I mean, not that I like watching horror movies, but I, I presume, you know, but the hor- you know, when you see the advertisements, so yeah, I go there and watch like very, uh, un horrifying movies, and there are always advertisements for horror movies, right? So you like, always, right, you don't want to see all these things, but, you know, the evil spirit always takes possession of someone, right? You know, they're always like very malevolent, and they take possession, and then the person has to fight the spirit off, right? Well, God's Holy Spirit is not like that, right? God's Holy Spirit doesn't possess us and make us, uh, uh, uh do good things, right? You're, you choose to be led by the Spirit. You choose to be controlled by the Spirit. You choose to live by the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is there guiding you, but it's a choice. It's a choice of whether you want to follow and be controlled and be led by it. And that's why it says there that we have to share in the sufferings of Jesus. Because living by the Spirit means that there will be suffering, that it is hard. It is hard, isn't it? Maybe, you know, when you're at work after a long day, you want to snap at people, you want to be angry. And, you know, you have to fight and be led by the Spirit and to be controlled by the Spirit and live by the Spirit to, to actually do what is right. You suffer in order to do what is right. It's hard to put to death the sinful nature. You know, you suffer to put to death the sinful nature. Right? It's hard to, 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 to do the things that, in the, you know, in the past I used to sin so many ways, but now I have to stop. And it's really hard to do that. It's suffering. But it's the way forward, isn't it? That's the way that we have to live. Because it's not as if Jesus died for us and then that's it. You know, we, uh, at that moment in time we're right. Now that we have been saved by Jesus, our lives moving forward to the day that Jesus comes is a transformed life. It is a life in the Holy Spirit. It's a life which is actually transformed more and more like God and Jesus day by day because the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Christ and the Spirit of God in us. Now, once you live that way, you can look forward to Jesus' return without fear. You can look forward to eternal life and peace. You are looking forward to... to to being truly a co-heir of Jesus and everything. So in conclusion, how did my friend uh, 
overcome his drug addiction. Because actually, if you go to the drug rehab center across the road, they will tell you that the, what's the word they use? Uh, recidivation rate, which is basically those people who fall back into drugs, is about 80%. 80% of people who go to drug rehab will go back to drugs at some point. Well, he was able to overcome because in Christ, he chose to put to death his sinful nature and chose to give his life to the Holy Spirit and let the Holy Spirit be working in his life. It wasn't easy. It was difficult. There were difficult choices that had to be made. He was willing to suffer to follow the Holy Spirit in his life. But thank God he has. He's not dead from drug overdose. He's not dead because of suicide. He's not in jail because he's been transformed. He's allowed the Holy Spirit to, to transform him. Now, I think that for all of us here, we're not, I mean, I don't think any of us are drug addicts, right? Maybe some of us are sweet addicts, right? But we're not drug addicts, right? But, but I think it's a very, very important lesson because the Christian life is about the cross, but it's also a transformation uh, by the Holy Spirit in your life. 